once again. Thank you all for joining us each and every week. Of course, this is Nuance, and I'm Mike Scala, joined by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip-hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. We're joined, of course, as well by Sheba Abraham from the League of Women Voters. And we have a very special guest this week. We've got the mayor-elect of Poughkeepsie. In fact, she will become the first black woman ever to be mayor of Poughkeepsie. So history-making moment, Avon Flowers. Thank you all for yeah. joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to join you. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about it. Let's get right into it. The vigors of a campaign. We are no strangers to that, having run in elections ourselves. Uh, how was that like running in first in the Democratic primary? Uh, did you have, were you met with resistance from the usual suspects, you know, any institutions, unions, uh, party officials who tried to convince you not to run in the first place? Yeah, well, the thing is, is that I'm on a city council and I was on there for about six years. So there were individuals that came forward and asked me if I would run for mayor. So I had a team of individuals that would help me and assist me through that that process. So, of course, didn't know there was going to be that many people who were going to step forward in the Democratic Party to run in a primary. Mm-hmm. So um, so that was an interesting, um, interesting campaign. Um, because at that point now, everybody's kind of going in their neutral corners and trying to figure out who they're going to support. So um, you pretty much are kind of running around in your own little circles, you know, trying to campaign. And of course, you know, everybody's looking at it like, you know, trying to fight for those Democratic voters. Um, so it was I, and that was the first time I've ever had to go through that process before. And this is the first time I ever had a citywide race. Because in the council, it's only for a particular ward. Yeah. So we're talking about trying to gain the the votes of, you know, maybe 15, 1600 people versus for a citywide where we're talking about at least almost 10,000 people. Um, so it was it was an interesting it was an interesting experience. Um, um, and you got to know who was really in your corner and, and who, you know, decided that they didn't want to support you. Yeah, I've heard that before. I heard that you don't really know who your friends are until you run for office. <laughs> right. And sometimes, too, people don't do it because they're personally against sure, you. Sure. It might be because they're actually in favor of what the other person's going to do or it kind of aligns with their personal agenda. Right. Right. You know, so you got to try not to keep, you know, take it personally, because I found that to be the, you know, true moving forward, going into the general election where like, well, why are you here to help me when you were against me in the primary? You know, and now it's like, well, you were the chosen person in the pri- in the primary. Now we want to come behind you and support you going moving forward. So I had to understand that part of it a little, right. you know, a little bit better. And it's important not to lose sight of the fact that in public service, at the end of the day, our job is to serve the public. And so you have to try to put those personal differences aside or political differences aside even and say, okay, that was the campaign. But then it's time to get down to work for everyone. Right. Whether you voted for me or not. Right. Or me or not. right. So, and that could, exactly. be, that could be difficult uh, depending on how the the, the others uh, conducted themselves during that that campaign. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Because during my primary campaign, um, during that election, it wasn't, uh, you know, I had some, there were some negative attacks, you know, wow. on my character and of who I am. Um, and, and so, of course, moving forward, you know, when certain individuals come to you like, well, you just got finished saying I was not the right candidate, you know, and now you're saying I am the right candidate. Make up your mind. <laughs> well, so. I did want to ask you about one of the candidates in the primary because he was the interim mayor. Right. And yes. he has noted uh, in the media, at least, that he would be interesting, interested in continuing to serve 
in the administration. So I just I just want to ask, what is your relationship with him like now? Um, I have a good relationship with him. I mean, he's he was our former city administrator, mm-hmm. so I worked very closely with him as um, as a council member because um, he dealt with the day to day operations. So um, we've built a, a pretty good relationship, and so it was kind of weird the fact that we were running against each other in the primary. Um, and then once um, he you know lost the primary, and I was moving forward as the Democratic candidate in the general election, he did express that he would like to stay on as a city administrator. You know, if I would, if I won the um, the mayor seat and if I would consider it, you know, and of course I said, you know, that's something I have to consider moving forward. But in the meanwhile, um, he did get a job offering um, that would bring him closer to his family. Um, oh. He has new grandchildren. Okay. So, um, he decided that he was going to take um, that position, and it brings him closer to where he originally came from in Connecticut. Oh, so, very nice. So it worked out for him. Yeah, it did. It really did. All right. So moving on to the general election now. So for those who don't know, the mayor's seat in Poughkeepsie was previously held by a Republican for several years, right? Then he was yeah. elected to the state Senate, vacated the seat. That's why he had that interim mayor. Of course, right. Wildflowers won as a Democrat and by quite a big margin as well. I think I saw on election night, you're up by 35 points. So there's a big swing there. So my question was, you know, what is what is to account for the dramatic shift in Poughkeepsie politics to go from a Republican LC to such a strong Democratic win? Um, I think there was different factors that were involved in that. Um, when I ran for the city council, you know, I was registered as an independent. Um, in the Independence Party. So um, in the beginning, the the Democrats didn't uh, allow me to run on their line, even though our Independence Party had supported Democrats in the past. So what happened is, is that I ended up going to the Republicans and asked, so can I run on your line? You know, because, I, you know, I was determined that I was going to get in there because we were really going through some tough challenges in the fifth board um, to the point where I was watching my investment and watching my neighborhood basically go down the drain. So um, so they allowed me to run on their line. So for a couple of years, I worked with Republicans, you know, um, they didn't you know, I didn't they didn't have to campaign for me or anything, but they did give me any resources that I might need in order to run on my line. And I didn't have to change who I was. And everyone understood that my main goal is about serving Poughkeepsie, not about any particular party. And so from the beginning, my motto was Poughkeepsie before politics. And that was 12 years ago mm-hmm. when I first ran my city council race. So what happened is, is that after my first um, term, I lost the seat because, again, it started getting political to the point where, wait a minute, no one bothered me when I campaigned the first time because they said there's no way a Republican, no way that a, um, a person run on a Republican line is going to win in a Democratic ward. Um, so when it happened, it was like, oh, wait a minute, we need to flip that seat back to Democrat. And mm-hmm. I was like, OK, but. I'm, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Um, so what happened was, is that other people got involved and people started to notice um, my interactions with different people. It didn't matter what party. I was just, I need to work with whoever I'm going to work with that's going to help our city grow. So I've always done that throughout the years. Um, as I won council races, lost council races, you know, I still stayed in contact with people who are Republicans and Democrats. And, you know, as I moved forward and working in the community, I worked with both parties, with all parties, because that's what we did in Independence Party. We worked with no matter what party affiliations you were. 
So when I move forward to move to run as mayor, they realize that, you know, I'm a person first to represent all people and not just any particular party. And people are ready for a change and and want to put, you know, these differences aside and want us to focus on what's really causing our problems in our city. And so they were that's who they were ready for. And I think it just happens to, to come about that I am a, a registered Democrat at this point now because the Independence Party lost their status mm-hmm. on the on the ballot. Right. So I had to pick or choose which, you know, which party I was going to register as. And I decided to register as a Democrat. OK, well, that's a testament to the voters of Poughkeepsie, I think, to be able to identify that and not just blindly vote along party lines. And so you were someone who was working with the people regardless of party. And it seemed like they put people in Poughkeepsie over politics as well. Right. And I think, too, it, it also comes down to my dad, John Flowers, mm-hmm. who worked in the community. And he was that type of person that he, he didn't care who you were, what party affiliation, what culture you're from, that he just looked at the city as one city and that, you know, and worked in the community to help all people. Right. And so I worked alongside with him for decades. So people have already seen some of the work that I've done out in the community and felt like this is the time to put someone forward who is not looking at any type of political agenda, but more on what's best for Poughkeepsie. And I think that's what they've shown when they came out to vote. I think we we also have talked about um, some of the difference between uh, that there's a common ground between the the two parties. And generally, there's uh, it's just kind of the way it's talked about. A lot of times they're People want the same goal, but they talk about it in different ways or they go about it in different ways. But if there's a way to kind of bridge that gap, um, it's it's actually a pretty good thing. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, you were looking to work towards Poughkeepsie, like it's one city. Everyone uh, works towards the same thing. Um, at the same time, we do know, like, there are definitely differences, disproportionate differences, being the first black woman in uh, and being a black woman, period, you are aware of those things. So how do you deal with, how are you looking to deal with those types of things? Um, you know, it's it's not going to be easy. You know, there are some people who are going to challenge me because even because of the color of my skin, they feel like I shouldn't really be in that position. You know, so I have to really align myself with people who have that common goal. And I think we, I, I'm, I'm doing that as, as best that I can, um, and, and not allow those people who are going to try to bring that divide in our city to have a, a strong voice. Um, and, and like I said, align myself more with those who have that common goal that we work together as a united city. And I think we would do that, especially through the city council, because in the past we have, pro- you know, had issues where the city council and the mayor did not always agree. And they seem to go on different paths. And um, there was a lot of infighting going on um, to a certain point. So I think just, you know, this year in the beginning and the start of this all, I decided I wanted to be sworn in with the council members so we can show as a a government entity that we're working together from day one. We are going to have differences. We're not always going to agree. But the thing is, is that the underlining um, the goal here is to make sure that we have respect for each other and understand that we do have a common goal to make the Kipsy better, but we just have to find the best um, path and and do, and get into that to that point. Um, so it's just basically not allowing those people who have that negativity and who decided they want to try to continue that divide to have a a a, a strong voice within our government. Absolutely. Right. 
Right now, the biggest issue perhaps facing the mayor of New York City is the migrant crisis. And my question right. is, what extent do you see that affecting Poughkeepsie and what role are you looking to play in that? Well, right now, what um, our county executive have gotten involved in that um, because uh, the, I guess there have been individuals that were sent to Dutchess County. So they have went to court and they have done with the litigations with that. You know, our services in order to provide a place for the migrant workers or even our homeless population comes through the county. So I would continue to work with the county to ensure that one, that we have the services that are involved, but also to ensure that that people understand that our resources are limited. Um, and that, you know, if we're not going to be working together as we're providing these services for individuals, that you're only going to cause more of a problem for our city. So I will make sure that I have that strong voice at the table. And no matter what platform, whether it's on the federal or state level, when it comes down to, you know, receiving and, and taking in individuals that need our additional help. Um, and to make sure that it doesn't put on an additional burden on, on the population that we're already trying to, to serve that are going through the same kind of challenges. Absolutely. So I know you have to go in a few minutes. So I wanted to close out by asking, what do you see or what do you want to be your legacy as mayor of Poughkeepsie? When Yvonne Flowers leaves office, how does she want to be remembered as the number one thing that you achieved for the city? What I want to um, see, and this is what I want to see in the next four years, the legacy of seeing our, our waterfront develop, seeing our kids having better education and support services so that we're build, building stronger families in the city of Poughkeepsie. I want to look back and see a lot of our kids who right now who are going through this, you know, um, feeling hopeless and want to leave Poughkeepsie, that in four years to see them say, I can't wait to build a house in Poughkeepsie, or I can't wait to, you know, work in our school district and, and help, you know, the next generation. So it's basically, I want to, you know, sit back and look and say that I did everything I possibly can to, to, to help make Poughkeepsie a safer and, and better place to live. Okay. That sounds good to me. Sheba, do you have any questions? Uh, no, I don't. I don't have any questions, but I say thank you so much, Yvonne, for agreeing to come on and speak with us. Yeah, well, thank uh, you again for inviting me. Absolutely. And I think we are immortalized together in that news photograph, yeah. right? That was nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. I was waving at you. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. They got captured in the photograph, so that was, that was really cool. Yeah, I'll say the first time I went to Poughkeepsie was at the Mid Hudson Civic Center. I went to see Nas perform in like '98 or so. So, oh wow, that was, okay. that was a big trip for me at the time. You know, I was pretty young back then, uh, but it's a beautiful venue up, up there. Yes, well, we'll look forward to you coming and visit us again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much, and congratulations. We can't wait to see yeah. you achieve. Thank you, a Poughkeepsie. Thank you so much. Mayor. Thank you so much. And swearing in is January second, one o'clock at the Poughkeepsie High School. There. You go. Yeah. Right. The same right. high school that I graduated from. That's True awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great night. Congratulations. Right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. Bye -bye. Good night. Well, there we go. Well, it sounds like to me Poughkeepsie's got um, you know, a good a good start. Uh and uh mayor that's got some a, a good focus and interest mm -hmm. in city itself uh, going forward. Yeah. So um excited to hear how things turned out. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. We're looking forward to her uh, assuming the position and we can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. So
Yeah, absolutely. Mid Hudson Civic Center. Is that still there, Shima? Yeah, I'm still there. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think who was it? Holiday Inn owns the um, Poughkeepsie Grand Hotel now. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Holiday Inn or Double Tr- one of those hotel chains. I got to look and see who it is. But it's still an event center. They still hold events there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. The event center is still right there next to. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yes, they do. Yeah, that was always a big venue that you would hear about, even in New York City. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a hike, especially for a young kid to go up there. But it's the closest, I think that's the closest Nas was on that tour with whatever tickets I can get for it. So I, I made the trip and I always remember that going to Poughkeepsie for that one show. <laughs> but they always are having people come. They're always having huge events. Every looks like you can't, you know, every month they're having something huge. So <laughs> it's yeah. quite interesting. So, yeah, so hopefully the mayor holds all that down and does a great job for the people. And then, like, she said, yeah. she keeps you over politics. So, that's good. Right. It is good for voters to respond to that, right? Because uh-huh. the stick uh-huh. in us would say, well, especially for a major general election like that, most people don't right. pay that close attention and they vote party line. But when you had a Republican mayor in there for so many years, you would think Republicans would have the edge, right? But for it to be such a dramatic shift, says something, right? That's an achievement that's that's significant in some way, right? Because that's not the usual course of events. It says something about uh, her her reputation. It says something about her campaign. Um, it says something about you know, the people themselves as well, and 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 being willing to look at something different. Um, if you know, like I said, it's been a Republican for so long for people to either to either change their vote depending on the candidate or to for the the democrats to step up and get out and more participate more participation than before so it's uh-huh. yeah, yeah it does say a lot because i saw yeah, like a quote from the republican who lost that race and he said that he ran basically just to be the opposition party that i think he said he told his kids or told he told people that that we shouldn't have one party rule. And so he was running just to be that opposition. So if you read into that, basically he was saying he didn't expect to win from the beginning. He just mm. didn't the opposing voice. Um, that was striking to me, right? Because you would think, okay, in an environment like that, maybe that means that it's a safe democratic city. But again, the mayor was Republican for, and maybe that's a testament to who that mayor was, right? Maybe that mayor was popular across party lines. Well, sometimes you see that too, but right. those dynamics are interesting. Um, Sheba, would you describe Poughkeepsie as a swing city, purple city, or you know, do, how do they vote in in the governor's races or presidential races usually? Do you know? Um, you know, it's hard to because it's interesting. It's hard to really say because this is Republican territory, right? So um, I guess it depends on I would say the town. And the people—it's really hard to gauge. Okay. In, in terms of that, because as I, you know, this is a Republican, and it's known to be Republican territory. Mm. So. Are you um, talking about what the county broadly, not just the city of Poughkeepsie? I'm, I'm saying Dutchess, Dutchess, Dutchess County. County on the whole. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But because you look you at the mayor. More Democratic leanings in the cities. I'm sorry. Oftentimes, you do see more Democratic leanings in the cities, even if the entire yeah, county yeah. is Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In the towns, it's, you know, because the towns, depending on like the towns, the people in the town of uh, Poughkeepsie, which makes makes the race, her race so uh, uh, unusual, well, 
I mean, guess some people would consider it unusual. I don't. But the towns cannot vote for the mayor of the city. Right. You have to live in the city. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's kind of it's, it's very interesting. But everybody can vote for, let's say, the governor. They come right. together to vote for the governor. Right. So you don't know what percentage of Republicans are living in the town, what percentage of Democrats or Republicans are living in the town and in the city. So it depends. Yeah, I'm sure the numbers can be looked up, right? We can look at the voter rolls. Yeah. And we even go ED by ED, right? If you want to break it down on a small uh-huh. level. But just as an election lawyer and someone who's into politics, even at the local level, that interests me, right? Looking at those numbers uh-huh. and, and those trends. But all right, moving moving on, because we have other things to talk about. How was you guys uh Christmas? Did you guys do anything? Nope. Didn't do anything. All right. <laughs> I actually taught a class on taught right. a class on Christmas Day. Okay. Oh, really? They have school? Oh, interesting. They don't close down then. Is um, well, yeah. Well, it, it's a private lessons, um, but also Christmas. You know, Christmas is a Western holiday, so it's not a, a holiday out here. Although there is some influence because I mean, America's and and Christmas has a, a big influence worldwide, um, but uh-huh. it's not. It's not celebrated here so much, but there are Christmas decorations everywhere and Christmas sales mm-hmm. and people go get their uh, Christmas cake sometimes or Christmas bucket of chicken from KFC. I was going to say that. Wasn't there a big marketing campaign a while ago in Japan that got the Japanese population hooked on KFC at Christmas? Right. I think it was a campaign from the 70s or 80s, and it was a campaign from K- uh, KFC that kind of likened getting a bucket of chicken as a uh, a tradition in America for mm. people. And it was a very successful campaign. So people, the public here thought, oh, this was what people did in America on Christmas was go to KFC. So now every year uh, for a couple weeks out, you have to make reservations at KFC to get a bucket of chicken. Like you don't you can't just go there. It's like there's a line that's really? weeks long to get their your Christmas bucket of chicken. Do people sit there, <laughs> the bucket of chicken at KFC or is it mostly takeout? No, it's it's takeout. Like, oh. yeah, you have to order it. You have to put your order in in advance. So okay, and I hear they even dress up the colonel in a Santa suit and everything. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I haven't seen it in the local one here. I didn't see that. Um, Did you see big place- line there? Well, I actually it was closed because it was only doing pickup orders. Okay. So they weren't allowing people to come in and just put an order in. You had to put in your reservation weeks ahead of time. Wow. to be able to come oh. through so, i mean crazy thing um but that's kind of what people do um and if it is it's not really a family holiday like it is in the states where we get together with family and do presents and that um if anything if people do younger people have started looking to do uh dating on christmas like finding their or go out with their significant other or maybe um hopefully go out with the person they're interested in uh mm-hmm. on, on christmas but yeah so it's a little different yeah. Okay. Sheba, did you get to see family? I went to see um, my godmother, 94 years old. We had dinner. Nice. My family and I, yes. Yes. So she said, oh, she called me at the beginning of the month saying she was having a dinner. Would I come? She lives in Harlem. Would I come down and see her? I said, of course. (laughs) And we had a nice time. It's always good. I always love going to see her because there's always a lot of fun, but that's what we did. 
Okay, very nice. I got to see family as well. And I wanted to show a couple of gifts that I got. Here is a chess set. I've been playing chess online and I got a, a chess set. These pieces are very ornate and fancy. If you can take a look, like here's the rook. You see it? Oh. Knight. Oh. Nice. But here's where it gets a little confusing. So the king, right? Very uh -huh. nice looking. But when you look at the queen and the bishop, well, here's the pawn actually, and the pawns you can tell they're they're kneeling, right? But it still gets a little confusing because they're all people now, right? The bishop right. and the queen do look pretty similar. <laughs> you can tell them apart if you stare at them long enough and figure, okay, that's the queen, that's the bishop. But putting them all on the board like this, you, you can see. I think it's going to take some getting used to because you're just going to see uh -huh. these. Of course, the these are the white pieces, the black pieces are very similar, and so it's not immediately obvious what piece is what right? mm. so oh. i think it's easy to kind of lose track of what's going on maybe the maybe the queen the the king needs to have some dna tests uh to find out uh, what's going on there why does the bishop and the queen look alike yeah, i don't know maybe it forces you to pay more attention to the game and keep track of the pieces because by eyeballing them you just get confused it uh, looks like a um like an Asian motif, or yes, or, yes absolutely. Okay, all right, awesome. Well, they are very nice pieces, right? That's the feature. Of yeah, it looks nice. Not your typical chess pieces. I do enjoy that. Here's actually something that's kind of cool, but it's going to lead me down the rabbit hole. I think. Uh oh. This looks like an ordinary hat. Is but that Jamie, a warm what kind of hat? Is it? You know what kind of hat it is? Is that a warming hat? It's no. It's a Bluetooth speaker hat. It's got Bluetooth speakers in it. What? Really? Hook it up to your wow. phone. Nice. Really cool. It works nice, right? You can obviously use it for phone calls and for music or podcasts, like no one. Nice. I know I'm gonna be listening to it and adjusting all of my mixes on my music, thinking it sounds great everywhere, but it doesn't sound so good in the Bluetooth hat. Uh, okay. So, do you like it or you don't? No, no, no. I love, I love the gift. What I'm saying is, it's gonna forced me to be even more OCD about my music because I check it in every oh. single speaker, right? So I'm right. going to do uh -huh. it thinking, oh man, I got to get it optimal for the Bluetooth hat wearers out there. <laughs> nice. That's actually yeah. a good idea. I hadn't th thought about yeah. that. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. Who did you purchase that for? Who, who, who's the manufacturer? I don't know. Did you know who, who were... Okay. It says Full Light Tech on here. I don't know if that's a company or not. Full Light Tech. Oh, I gotta look that up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty dope. That's pretty dope. Yeah, where did they purchase it from? I don't know. Where was the purchase? I don't know. It was a gift, Santa Claus. <laughs> so. Yeah, so the elves made it. They yeah. Didn't, uh... yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So. so pretty cool stuff. Speaking of cool stuff, I did want to bring up a few things here. I know we got our poll results to get into. Right. I actually wanted to get Sheba's take on this because we had a conversation last week about phone usage and how studies mm. show that the average American checks their phone 144 times a day. And obviously that sounds like a big number, but we were trying to square that with this other idea that's out there that people are less addicted to their phones or want to keep them in our pocket, right? There's like that meme that's out there that says that we used to get all these ringtones and now if that square thing in our pocket made a noise, we'd smash it. You know, we're not even really trying to hear it as much. And yet mm -hmm. 
there's 144 times a day that people are checking it. So, you know, how do you square the, these two thoughts? So to add more context to this, I was looking into it. The last time they did the study, which I think was two years ago, they found that number, that 144 number was 50% higher. So actually as high as 144 is, it dropped by 50% over the past few years. However, while we're checking our phones a lot less, we're spending more time on our phones. The usage time went up by 30%. And so that might lend support to this idea that we're really using our phones more as devices now, like we would a computer or a tablet. Maybe, for example, we're streaming more podcasts or music or, or even watching movies. So we're not checking it as much, but we're still using it a whole lot, right? I think that makes sense because you do see fewer people doing this all the time, right? Texting each other or being on the phone or using it to communicate with people. I think that is actually falling out of fashion, right? Slowly, but surely. I mean, we saw that 50% fewer times over the past few years that we're checking our phones. I think that is mm. the trend, right? Um, but we are still spending a lot of time on the device. You know, maybe we're using it for other purposes. I don't know. Sheba, what are your thoughts on that? I'm guilty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a friend of mine, she lives in California, and she was saying that, this, as a matter of fact, the percentage went up because of the seniors that use their mm -hmm. phone for the evening, playing games on it, uh, shopping. Right. Um, right, right. You, you know, et cetera. Um, they can download different apps. Yeah, and right. So and so, Nishiba, that's actually perfectly in line with what I was thinking, right? Because mm -hmm. older folks, if they were using technology, they might have been on <laughs> desktop computers or laptops. Now, over the past few years, they're moving more towards the phones, but they're using them the same way we would use computers before. Because right. you right. shopping online with a computer before, right? Now you do it on your phone. Right. Yes. And uh, she said to me, she made a joke. She said, roam free. I said, oh, because I, I told her I'm guilty. And she was saying, roam free. Put that device down. But if you can, you know, you have, um, wh uh, what is it? Waze? No, not Waze. It's uh, WhatsApp, where mm -hmm. you can talk to people. You get right. on Messenger. Right, you right. can uh, video message. So, right. I mean, it's just like, and people that whose children or family members are in another country like you are, uh, Jay, yeah. You can just call and talk like this. Yeah, that's right. very popular. I see that when people go overseas, they'll call you on WhatsApp so they don't have to oh. use their roaming. Yeah, or WhatsApp. Yeah. Right. I use, uh, we use uh, FaceTime quite often because it's, it's you know, we everyone in our family has uh, iPhones so or Apple devices. So we use what uh, uh -huh. FaceTime and we can do video calling, which is very helpful when being so far away from, from everyone. So, yeah, I've actually looked... Um, I pulled up on my phone today so far. It's uh, 9.44 a.m. And I've already picked up my phone 13 times. I don't know if it's probably blurred out there. I've already picked it up. 13 picked up so far. Um, and uh, three hours and 34 minutes of use. Okay. So but you still below the average. It's only 9 a.m. It's already three hours of use today. Right, but yeah, but how many hours are you going to be up? By the time you get to sleep, you're not going to hit 144, right? Oh, that's 144 pickups. Right, right. So I'm, yeah, I'm low on that. Uh, I think my 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 screen time um, for today, my screen time for today was three and a half hours. But 
I think that's three and because hours and you've been up for three hours. Right. So you've been on your screen longer than you've been awake. No, it started at midnight. And so when I went to sleep last night, I was laying in bed, but I fell asleep and my phone was playing on loop right. for a couple of hours right. while I was sleeping. And so it calculated that. And see, that's what I'm talking mm -hmm. about, right? We're, we're doing that. You might fall asleep watching Netflix on your phone or something like that. So yeah. right. usage is up, even though we're not checking okay. as much and we're not communicating with people as much with it, I don't think. Yeah. So when I woke up and, and it was going in loop and then I stopped it and turned it off and you can tell you can see where I cut it off at before I picked my phone back up. But yes, since I've been awake, awake, it's, I think it's only been like about 30 minutes of usage or something okay. like that. I got to check was, mine if I even can on the Android. I don't know if it's in the settings or if it's available, but I'm trying to get my average to four, <laughs> four pickups per day. Uh, or pick what's up your average day. now? I don't know because I don't have an app. I'm just saying that's oh. what I would like it to be. And I try to keep it to about that. It's going to vary. Sometimes I use it more, sometimes I use it less. You know, when I'm out, believe it or not, I use it more because then I have it in my pocket. And then sometimes I try and play catch up. I'm like, oh, let, let me see what I missed or whatever on the phone. But right. at home, oftentimes it's in a different room of the house entirely from where I am. Maybe it's charging in one room. I'm in another room. I'm may, maybe working on the computer. I'm not right. picking up the phone. It's not even with me. It's not even on me, right? It's only on me really when I leave the house. Right. Oh. Absolutely. Oh. Interesting stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Stuff. Anyone listening out there, let us know what your phone habits are and have they changed over the past few years? Are you using the phone less? Are you texting less? Are you calling people less on the cell phone? Because um, I think people are trending away from that, but maybe using them more as we used to use computers. And that's why usage is up, even though times checked is dropping. But right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, speaking of interesting, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I had another Reddit discussion earlier at Nuance Show on Reddit, mm. and it was about something that we had brought up on here, the 14th Amendment argument. I think last week, in fact, we talked about how the court in Colorado held that uh, Donald Trump could not appear on the primary ballot mm -hmm. in the state. Of course, there are some wrinkles there because they put a stay on that ruling taking effect pending appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And assuming the appeal happens, I believe the ballots will still be printed with his name on them for the primary because it'll be too late to take his name off uh, mm -hmm. since the Supreme Court decision won't come down until way past that deadline, right? Because this primary is happening very soon. So it seems like the practical effect is his name will be on the ballot regardless, at least for the primary. Nonetheless, it seems like it will go to the Supreme Court to make the final call on whether he is eligible to be a candidate. Now, there's a lot of confusion out there about what the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause entails, what it means. Of course, the Supreme Court is going to interpret it. Of course, there are already different courts who have different interpretations of it. But a lot of people, if you read them, you know, as I read it before, they don't seem to grasp it or understand it, they seem to have a lot of false impressions as to what's going on and how it reads and how it all works. And I was a little discouraged by how many people just assume the Supreme Court is going to hold him off the ballot. They, they're, they're just convinced of it. They're saying, this is even a question. He's an insurrectionist. Insurrectionists can't run. It's not about politics. It would be the same as if he was under 35. Case closed. What is there to discuss? The Supreme Court will hold him off. And I'm thinking, you guys maybe you need to be even more cynical about the way you look at these things, because I have no faith in the Supreme Court doing that. Zero, zero yeah. faith. The yeah. Supreme Court is going to it's going to be split right down on conservative and, and liberal. And it's they're going to the conservatives have the majority and they're going to make sure that he's on the ballot. Uh, 
no faith that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> and the question and that's a problem. Is, yeah, well, right. The question is, assuming now that they rule him on the ballot, what will their reasoning be, right? Because they can go a few different ways. Number one, they could take up the question of whether he's an insurrectionist, right? Whether he engaged in an insurrection, because that's that right. close to the 14th Amendment. But if they don't want to take that on, they want to punt on that. If they're looking for the path of least resistance, they can say that that is irrelevant because what he's running for doesn't qualify as an office under the United States. And right. that part was confusing people on Reddit. That was a big discussion I had earlier with someone because right. I guess to the layperson, if you're not a lawyer, it does look like a bunch of mumbo jumbo as, as laws often do when they're written. So if you pull up the clause of the amendment there, there, I mean, there really are a few different parts of it, right? The first part of it talks about the offices that one can potentially be disqualified from. I think that's the easiest way to, to, to look at it. There's, there's two parts, right? One is the list of offices that you could be disqualified from. Then the other part of it talks about the behaviors that you would have to engage in in order to be disqualified. So this one gentleman on Reddit was talking about, well, uh, it would apply to everyone who ran for president in history but Trump. And I didn't understand what he meant by that. And what he was getting at was that every other president but Trump took an oath of office of some kind prior to becoming president because they held lower office or in the case of Eisenhower, for example, I guess it was in the military, but Trump had never done that, right? He never took an oath of office because if you read the amendment, it says that you have to engage in insurrection and have previously taking, taken an oath of office. So he was saying, I don't understand why they would make this decision that would apply to everyone but Trump. So I said, there are a few things wrong with that reading of it. Number one, Trump did, and I don't think I haven't even got to this point in the thread because we we're going back and forth so, so rapidly. But uh, he did take an oath of office when he ran for president and was inaugurated the first time. So the fact right. that he didn't have office before is irrelevant. I mean, this insurrection happened in 2021. He took an oath of office to be president in 2017. So he did. Right. But the other part of it is that doesn't even really matter because that thing about, well, you have to have committed, uh, you know, taken an oath, oath of office and committed the insurrection. That is, again, part of the behaviors, part of the qualifying factors that would potentially disqualify one from holding those other offices. So if they decide that the office of the presidency doesn't count as an office that can be disqualified, it doesn't matter whether he did an insurrection. It also doesn't matter whether he ever took an oath of office. Those things are separate from the list of offices. And, and I don't think they were understanding that part of it either. So that may be the controversy here. We already have one court saying kind of. Right. Confusingly, you know, at, at surface level, right? If you don't really look into this deeply, you might be thinking, why? Why would they do, say this? So they ruled, at least one court already ruled that although Trump is an insurrectionist, he mm -hmm. should not be disqualified because he's running for president and the office of the presidency doesn't count as an office under the United States, as it says in the amendment. You know, you might think, why? Where does that come from? It is interesting to look at the fact that they do list offices in there. They say you can't be a senator. You can't be a congressperson. You can't be an elector for president. In other words, you can't be an electoral college for president or mm -hmm. vice president. It doesn't say you can't be the president. It does have kind of a catch-all provision, you know, or other offices. Mm -hmm. on the US. But it does really lead to that question of why would the drafters not say president? Why would they say you can't be in the Senate or in the House? You can't be an elector, but they wouldn't include the office of the presidency in there. It does seem like a glaring omission. And I think the court is going to ask that. And if they're looking for an easy way out, I think that's going to be their conclusion. I think they're going to say, we don't even need to get to the insurrection part. This just doesn't count. You, know? well, if you can 
you can be sure that they're already formulating the argument now for in preparation for it to come to them. They're already sitting down strategizing how they're going to get him back on the ballot. So, I mean, I think. Right. Yeah. But what, 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 gave, oh. what gave Colorado the what is what are their state laws? Not about a state law. They're interpreting. No, the but, what, but how did they come about? Who was the. How did they come about of doing that? Believe it or not, it was Republicans in Colorado who were against Trump who filed a lawsuit saying that he was not eligible to be president. So it's kind of similar to how you have these local elections, people submit petitions, and then you could have challengers who are voters in that area, right, saying, I don't think this person should be on the ballot because they don't qualify for whatever reason. Usually it's they don't have enough ballot signatures. It was similar in that regard. It was a state court challenge by a group of voters, Republican voters. It had to be mm -hmm. Republican voters because this is about the Republican primary now, right? You right. you mm -hmm. get on the ballot to be in the primary election, and then if you get past that, you get to the general. So when they're making up these ballots, these are primary ballots, and only Republicans get to vote in primaries generally for the Republican mm -hmm. Party. So Republicans in Colorado sued saying that he did not meet the qualifications to be president. So it shouldn't be on the ballot right. in the state. So the Republican voters? Was a group. Uh, they were, yeah. So uh, what was his um, ratings in Colorado? Well, Colorado was high, a, was a blue state. He, he didn't win Colorado. It's a blue state? Yeah. And the Republicans voted against it? Wow. Well, the, right. It wasn't all. It was a Republican group. It was a group that filed a lawsuit. A group? Yeah. So was it decided by the people or decided by the Senate? No, the judge. It was the, it was the Supreme Court of Colorado. The judges in Colorado. Right. The judges. The highest court said right. he doesn't qualify. Right. From what, I'm, from what I've heard is that from what I see on different news um, stations is that it was those judges, not the people that decided if he that should be on the ballot. It was the Supreme Court of Colorado saying that he doesn't he's not eligible to be on the ballot right and so if he was eligible if they found him eligible then of course he would advance to the primary and the voters would decide to vote for him or one of the other republican candidates they're saying that because of the insurrection clause he's not eligible to be on the ballot right so you know again it's going to go to the u.s supreme court in all likelihood and i would sure. It's a betting man mm -hmm. I would put money on the Supreme Court siding with him. But, but you know, and they don't need to, like I said, they don't need to even answer the question of whether he engaged in insurrection if they don't give him help. Don't give him help with the strategy. Well, but but, yeah, but that, but right, but that precedent is already out there though, because another court yeah. already decided that. So this is really easy yeah. for the Supreme Court to pick up on that. Right, because it's kind of like you're saying it's. It's kind of like they can say no because of him, because the president, it seems like the president's office is excluded. Well, we don't that. know. Right. That might be that's what, what they that's, that's okay, what one, and If it's excluded right. from that, then what does the insurrection, what does the terminology of insurrection mean? Well, it would be irrelevant. How do they look at insurrection? So that will be a way for them to not even have to answer any questions about the insurrection. They would just throw the whole thing out, basically, by saying that all that, that stuff doesn't even matter. We don't have to talk about January 6th or his role in it or any of that stuff. It doesn't matter because they would say the office of the presidency is excluded from this list of offices that can be disqualified under the 14th Amendment. You know, they still have to deal with this idea that it does say 
any other office. So it isn't just that list and that's it. It says these offices mm-hmm. and any other office under the U.S., right? The argument would be that the office of presidency somehow doesn't count as an office under the U.S. It's, right. you know, it's a bit of a word game, you might say, but uh, at least one court came to that conclusion. And I wouldn't be surprised right. in the slightest if the Supreme Court echoed that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's we know that we know how it's going to go. I mean, I would be I would be very, very shocked and surprised if the Supreme Court um, upheld that decision that he shouldn't be on the ballot. Right. Right. Because these yeah. are judges that are conservative. They're judges that he put in. Um, and we've seen their track record so far of what they've done. So, yeah. Well, are they going to take up the argument? Do they have the right to say we don't want to take up this argument? His sure. team is going to appeal until it gets there. Right. So the, um, the Supreme Court in Colorado specifically said this is our ruling, but we're going to hold off on implementing this ruling pending your appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. So everyone knows that's where this is going. The Supreme right. Court in Colorado mm-hmm. is basically telling him, go ahead and file your appeal. Right. So. So, yeah, I, it wouldn't. It, it's not even that it would surprise me. It would shock me if the Supreme shock. Court of the U.S. said he cannot run. It would shock me. Shock. <laughs> oh. That would be the surprise of the year. Would it would seriously be? Now I did yeah. receive a text message on this because we discussed this last week. Someone said that basically don't jump to conclusions on what the Supreme Court will do, and there was some kind of link between the expensive vacations being paid for by the Supreme Court uh, or for the Supreme Court justices and the same and the billionaires who are now supporting Nikki Haley. So. I guess it's this conspiracy theory that Nikki Haley's camp is so powerful now they're going to somehow exert influence over the Supreme Court judges to keep Trump off the ballot. That's like fantasy booking to me. I don't see that happening. Nah, 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 nah. Wow, this is really going to be something to see. Yeah, I do wonder though. Disgusting. Talk about how this affects the politics of the situation, right? Even all the other legal cases going on, and you can look at the polls and the focus groups and everything like that. Well, well, let me ask you this, Mike. Do all the states, can all the states, um, like what Colorado did, can all the blue states do that too? Yes, and that's that's a good point. I wouldn't be surprised to see New York do it. People are trying to figure out what is the next state that's going to do it. It most likely is not going to stop at Colorado, right? Why would it? Um, And that's further reason for the Supreme Court to get involved if different cases or different states are getting involved and even different courts now might be coming down differently on it. Right, because how do they get the power to say that someone can't run because of something that they have done or something in their past? It's in the 14th Amendment. It's in the Constitution. Constitution. So all of a sudden now it it comes in play now since... Yeah, you can't if you if you commit insurrection against the United States, you're disqualified from running for an office of the United States. And so that's where the the discussion is now. Some are saying that, well, uh, you know, he didn't commit he didn't commit insurrection. He wasn't an insurrectionist where the court is saying, no, he absolutely was an insurrectionist. And so, of course, Republicans are going to argue that he wasn't uh, because they want him on the ballot. But uh, then there's the case of what Mike was saying is certain offices are mentioned in there and well uh-huh. he wasn't in one of those offices or he's not running for those offices right. so they're going to say well it doesn't apply to him and so uh, yeah it, it's it's a it's a big mess but 
I think what we're going to see is happening is the Supreme Court is going to side with whatever side is that puts Trump back on the ballot uh, for whatever reasoning that they come up with. And yeah, we're going to have him back on the ballot anyway in right. Colorado. And, and, and Sheba, this 14th Amendment, don't forget, this comes from Reconstruction, right? We know the 13th oh. Amendment ended slavery. Then you had the Reconstruction Amendments, uh, 14th being one of them. And so it's a very versatile amendment. When I was in law school, I remember a professor asked a question of a student, uh, you know, which amendment uh, gives them the right to do whatever? And the student didn't know. And the professor made a joke, like, come on, you're in law school. The answer is always the 14th Amendment because it is responsible for so much, right? It's such a versatile, powerful amendment. So that's what gives equal protection of the law, right? That's how, why states aren't allowed to discriminate, for example, on the basis of race or sex. So that's where that comes from. Right. Uh, it's what gives you due process. It's used to, to hold the Bill of Rights. When you talk about freedom of speech, you talk about all of your Bill oh. of Rights. When you read those amendments on their face, they are only against Congress or the federal government. Well, then how come we have oh. these rights at the state level through the 14th Amendment? Right. Because we've got a due process clause, an equal protection clause. And, and these clauses in the 14th Amendment are read as holding the state's to the same standard as the federal government when it comes to these rights. And so, you know, it's a very powerful amendment, but you have to keep in mind the history of it. It was passed in the wake of the Civil War during Reconstruction. And when they have this insurrection clause in there, that was really done in response to the Confederacy, right? They didn't want people who are Confederates uh, essentially hijacking the government. And so that's why that language is in there, right? If you engage in an insurrection and you previously held an oath or took an oath of office for the U.S., you can't then run for another office in the U.S., right? They didn't want people who were still sympathetic to the Confederates post-Civil War to come in and try to take over. They still got in anyway. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And you can look at the history of that with the election of Rutherford B. Hayes, right, which he probably lost, but uh, he ended up winning and taking over the presidency in exchange for troops being removed from the South and really for the end of Reconstruction. And I don't think we really got the Reconstruction that we were hoping for at the time. Right. Uh, but that's, you know, it's a different story. Nonetheless, the 14th Amendment is still there and these clauses are still in them, right? And we still use this law to this day. So, you know, since the Civil War, really since, I guess, 1868, when this was ratified, an insurrectionist, by the way, not someone who was necessarily convicted of insurrection, but someone who engaged in insurrection, so it's a different standard, and who took an oath of office to the U.S., could not hold office in the U.S., right? Um, again, there's debate now as to whether president qualifies, but it mentions Congress in there. It mentions Senate in there. It mentions electors to the presidency and the vice presidency. So uh, it very specifically names offices and, and says, you know, listen, if you've done this behavior, then you can't be an officer for the U.S. anymore. So... Uh, is part of our law indisputably, right? The question is, how is it going to be applied? And the question is also, how is it going to affect the politics of the situation? Because as I was getting into before, it seems so far voters are not paying a whole lot of attention to the legal troubles. It's not really swaying them one way or the other, whether they're not looking at it too much. What they're saying is, yeah, if he's convicted on any of these felony counts, we won't vote for him, right? The polls show he'll lose in a landslide upon a conviction. But shy of that, is it going to have any effect one way or the other? I mean, you could look at it like, okay, even if the Supreme Court puts him back on the ballot, it still represents a court saying that he's an insurrectionist and should be disqualified. Maybe that has some sway to some voters. Maybe Republicans voting in these primaries might be less hesitant 
or, or, or more hesitant to support him with all the stuff looming. You know, I don't know. It could, it could, even if it gets reversed, I'm saying it could sway some people's decisions when they go vote. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, well, we will see on that. Our first primaries are coming up soon as we approach the new year. So all the stuff is going to happen very quickly. Yep. Um, speaking of how people vote, we had a poll last week, right? Where people were voting on our question that we posed. Right. We were talking last week about what's going on with the rest stops in New York, that, that there's a bill on the table to try to make sure that that uh, any facility or location, restaurant or whatever that's operating inside these rest stops are open up seven days a week for travelers because travelers expect that uh, there's something there at the restaurant, rest stop. Um, and so this would affect Chick-fil-A because they are they close on Sundays due to their religious beliefs. Um, and so the question that we had proposed was that uh, did, do you agree with the efforts in New York state legislature to push Chick-fil-A out of the state's rest stops due to their anti-LGBT stances? Now, it wasn't specifically mentioned that it was due to their anti-LGBT stances, but there's a lot of heavy speculation that this type of bill is uh, targets Chick-fil-A. Um, they've been pushed out of places before. They've been pushed out of colleges because of their stances. And this would basically really only affect them um, because... Yeah. And the sponsors of the bill also are not trying to make it a secret, right? They are out right. saying this is to target Chick-fil-A. Right. And so um, we had we had a lot of responses here. There was at least there were over 300 people that voted in this poll. Wow. Uh, and so 68 percent said yes, they agree. 23 uh, percent said no. And 9 percent said they are not sure. Hmm. Um so oh. one person brought up, I'm sorry, so just to be clear, the 68% said that they should be barred from our rest stops. Right. Well, answering the question that, that we put proposed was that, do we agree with the efforts of the, the legislature to push Chick-fil-A out due to their anti-LGBT stances? So they could be speaking specifically due to those stances. However, in the comments, some of the responses um, clarified their reasons for voting. So one person said that the anti-LGBT stance of the company is irrelevant. In this case, imagine a baseball stadium renting out concession booths to a company that isn't open on game day. It's absurd. The same logic fits perfectly well for highway rest stops, which I agree with. I think, mm -hmm. you know, if you're in a rest stop, you need to be open seven days a week. Like this is what, what you're there for, right? It's not like a mall or, or anything like that. You're specifically mm -hmm. in this place for travelers, uh, especially on days that people travel, which would be a Sunday or a Saturday. Right. Uh, well, however, at the same Lindsay, time, no, go ahead. I heard Lindsey Graham is um, taking on that request, that um, bill that mm. Chick-fil-A should stay closed on Sundays. But if you're traveling, as you said, uh, Jay, I think they should be required to open seven days a week. I do. I think if you're in that space, right? So right. I think this is, in my yeah. opinion, was an oversight on on the original contract, the original leases they signed, right? For for 
Because people knew what their schedule was. It wasn't like Chick-fil-A just popped up all of a sudden and said, hey, we're not going to open on Sundays. They've always had this policy. So whoever signed the contracts um, that allowed them to be in these rest stops knew going into it that they were going to be shut down, you know, one day out of the week. So I I think, you know. Right. And they also say that Sunday is the busiest travel day. Right. So it is not. A random Tuesday or Wednesday, right? This is the day that you want them open. Right. But not only that, Mike, have you traveled early morning um, coming, let's say, from Jersey? You hit 87 early morning, like 4.30, 3.30 in the morning? I'm sure Uh, I have because I would take the throughway back and forth from Albany. Um, Have you seen? Sometimes I'll cut through Jersey with the Palisades. Right. Have you seen the truckers on 87? Sure. It's full of truckers. Yeah, yeah. So I can see Governor Hochul saying you have to be open on Sundays because this that 87, that's a truck route, especially right. early morning. And it's, um, this is I, public use. This is not uh, you know, like a mall right. where it's private. I mean, I mean, even a mall is for public use, but this is designated by the state for public use. To be a service to public to the right. public, so yeah. For them to not be open at a time when the public needs it, it's, right. it, it's not a very good look. Now, is this a little bit of punting the way the Supreme Court might punt on the insurrection question? Say, well, we're not even going to get to their <laughs> LGBT stances. We're just going <laughs> to decide this on whether they're open that day of the week, because really it was aimed, I think, at keeping them out because of their viewpoint, not as much because of the schedule, even though that um, was factor. I hadn't well, seen anything in any of the articles that specifically pointed that out, um, even was, though all the articles did mention their anti-LGBT stance. No, look at the sponsors of the bills. They actually said that. And that was the article that we looked at last week. They said that when they were talking about the bills, that was the reason why they were putting mm. this. Or they mentioned the Sunday thing as well, the, the, the busy travel day. That was in there, too. I think that was in there as almost a backup in case people didn't support them on the other part of it, or if it was seemed even as unlawful, right? Maybe unconstitutional. If it, if it was argued that you were unfairly attacking them because of their religious beliefs, they said, well, it isn't only about that. It's also because of this Sunday being the busy travel day, but they were not making that a secret, right? They were saying that these are the sponsors of the bills. In fact, we should pull up, do you have the, um, the bill number Jay, in front of you? We can, we can pull up the sponsor's memo of the bill because right, that's, um, that gets introduced the sponsor text. of the the bill was i've got it right here bill number a08336 uh this is sponsored by simone um but the bill says requires that food services at transportation facilities and rest services owned and operated by certain public authorities remain open seven days a week right the bill language is not going to Right. In fact, that would be unlawful for it to do that. But what does the sponsor's memo say and what statements are the sponsors giving to the media, right? Because that tells you really what their motivation is. Yeah, I put a link to it um, in the... I don't know why my, my browser is not coming up. You got the link here. Let's see if this works. It's not coming up because uh, you're not open on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, but, I mean, I think... What, what I'm seeing in the in the responses uh, in the comments again it was uh, what was that 68 yeah. percent um, in support of it but a lot of comments are more looking at 
the scheduling. Like it just doesn't make any sense for for them to award that contract to someone who's not going to be open on the times uh, to to do the service that they're there to do. Right. Um, That's but here's the thing, though. Is well, Chick Fil A has like seven seven locations right now at these throughways, right? Uh, and they were in talks, I guess, to open more. Um, and the ones that they have, they have, I think, like thirty two year contracts, thirty two years left on their contracts. So even if this goes through, would that even affect Chick Fil A for another thirty two years? Can you change the requirement after the lease has already been in play? No, I'm sure the goal is to keep them out now they're not talking about doing something 32 years in the future well no but they have seven locations right now and those locations have 32 year leases at this point yeah they're trying to stop those they're not trying to stop more from coming in right well they're already there so like can they make right they're trying to stop them though trying to shut them down they're saying they no longer comply with the law so they can't stay open even the lease I see what you're saying, Jay. That's kind of stick. But can they? Can a lawsuit happen as a result? Well, a lawsuit um, can happen. The question is, are they going to win? Yeah. But it's. I mean, but I, I see what you're saying, Jay. That's very. That's a sticky situation too. I'm Chick Fil A will probably fight it. I mean, uh, I would imagine this is very lucrative spots for for them. Um, you know, right, rest stops don't have a lot of competition. And so the people that do come through, you're going to have a, a pretty good customer base. Right. So, like you said, they awarded it. Going, they didn't go into it blind. They awarded this contract to Chick Fil A, knowing that they close on Sundays. Right. Absolutely. Um, Question is: so there, Do you think that? Let's say Chick Fil A was open on Sundays. Would you support? an effort to keep them out of the rest stops due to their viewpoints. That was a question that I was getting ready to ask as well. Like, should this, should their LGBT stance be a factor in them getting that, that contract uh, in the first place? And I think. Let's see, if I asked that because, you know, Sheba brought up the potential of a lawsuit, it seems more ripe for a legal challenge if you right. remove this issue of the seven day a week, right? That Sunday is the busiest travel day and you want them open all day. If you remove that part of it and you make it strictly about, we don't want them because of their religious views. Um, I mean, really it wouldn't be framed that way, I guess, by their opponents, it would be more framed as for their discriminatory views, right? But they're gonna say it's their religious views. And now you have that same battle on, on your hands that sometimes goes to the US Supreme Court, right? About where do they meet, you know? And, and, but then but have they engaged their religious in rights versus other people's rights not to be discriminated against? But have they engaged in that discrimination at the establishments? Aside from the the owners um, donating to anti-LGBT clauses, do they treat customers any differently when they come into the restaurant? They might, right? They might not. I mean, that would be something that you would have to, if you were building a lawsuit, you would try to get that information. But... They certainly have a history of supporting violently anti-gay groups, right? Yeah, but I mean, would they be guilty of discrimination if you know they don't discriminate against customers or workers based on that? Uh, it's just well, so what they're smiling in your face, but then giving your money to groups that are fighting you. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. how many how many organizations do that all the time? Uh-huh. Oh, well, okay, well, so what if it was um, some company that was giving money to the KKK or you know some some domestic absolutely, terrorism? absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I'm I saying the same kind of controversy. I mean, you know, okay, so what if there was a, a bill in the New York State Legislature to say we're not going to allow groups like that to have contracts with the state? No, absolutely, and I and I agree with that. I'm I'm just saying, like from their defense, they're going right. to be like, yeah, we treat everybody. We don't discriminate against customers or employees right. or anything like that. So we know, absolutely, be- they're going to frame it as a religious issue, and they're going to say we don't hate yeah. anyone. We're not sure. trying to uh, be hate discriminate. We just have a right to express our beliefs. Right. Right. But I thought church and state were supposed to be separate. Yeah, but they're operating church. But there's still religious views at the end of the day. That's a religious view, and it's out there. We are closed on Sunday because of Sundays, right, for our religious practices. Right, right. That's fine. That's that's church, that's church and state is supposed to be separate. That's absolutely fine. They can, they can, oh, what happened? We lost Mike. Um, I think that they should absolutely be able to have to set their hours the way that they want, according to their beliefs or their operating practices. The question in this becomes, this is on public, uh, a public outlet on these rest stops that are to serve the public good so that they need to be open those seven days a week. I don't know if their oh. religious beliefs should factor into it at that point, but if you're contracted here to serve the public on right. travelers, then you need to be open seven days a week or you don't get the contract. I agree. So. Yeah, because you can make you know make some adjustment adjustments. You have people that will gladly work on su- Sundays. Oh yeah, there are tons <laughs> of uh, tons of restaurants that would take that that spot. No yeah. One knows that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah I, I, kind of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I said I would. I would work on a Sunday, if I had a, you know, business like that, yeah, I would, because going to, you know, like I said, traveling, especially that eight going up 87, where you're going to find the majority of those, um, uh, rest stops, they, they need that. They need to be open. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to have to see how that, uh, how that works out. Um, according to the people in the poll, this um the majority of people support support them not being there the question would be more if they support it because it's their their uh anti-lgbt lgbt stance or they support them because of their their scheduling stance that yeah it seemed more clear that people were looking um at the scheduling stance right because i never i didn't i didn't know that the lg T, uh, the LG, I always get these letters. I always get um, LGBT. Yeah, LGBT. Um, I always get it jumbled up for some reason. But um, they, I didn't know they were a part of the um, uh, law, uh, bill. I didn't realize that. I didn't know it just because it just mentioned when the bill was. Um, announced it just mentioned about them being open it didn't say anything about the uh the, the lgtb community right and that's more speculation no. that's, oh, that's okay. a bit more speculation because of their stance right. and they um 
that I guess they couldn't they couldn't mention that directly in the bill, but they have no. been they have been pushed out of places before because of their anti-LGBT stance. So they're not allowed on certain college campuses because of it. So they've been banned oh, from certain okay. places. So that's what leads to some of the speculation that this bill is because of their 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 stance or their owner's stance. And this is a way to to get them out. Um, right. But, you know, that's that's all that's speculation, of course. Yes. Well, we'll see what happens. Right. We will definitely see what happens. Um, I don't eat Chick-fil-A anyway, so I don't know. But Yeah, uh, I don't either. So. <laughs> but it is an important question to ask if they're going to, uh, if they should be able to receive a contract for public lands if they are participating in discriminatory behavior or right. supporting discrimination causes. That, mm -hmm. I think, is a different question. And they should I, I don't think they should be just like Mike said, you know, if this was a business that was um, donating and supporting KKK like mm -hmm. clauses, they shouldn't receive public funds either. Mm. So this is um, something they're going to have to, to to deal with going forward and we'll see how that goes. Yes. So there was another topic that we were going to get to before we wound up, Mike. Uh, computer crashed and he is oh. in the process of restarting and uh, coming back on. We are still recording and broadcasting. So that's quite interesting because we were doing it through Mike's account. So we'll see how that works. But we did have one more topic that uh, we're going to talk about. And it was uh, this past week. Uh, Joe Biden came out and pardoned marijuana use nationwide. Um, so he announced that he's issuing a federal pardon to every American who has used marijuana in the past, including those who were never arrested and prosecuted. So, oh, he's back. He had a marijuana break. Are we still live streaming is the question. Uh, according to the... the the dashboard here. We're recording and we're broadcasting on Facebook. Okay. Somehow my computer froze. I had to restart it. Yeah, it happens. It happens. So, um, so yeah, we were just getting into the article about uh, Joe Biden pardoning marijuana users nationwide. Right. Uh, Pardoned every American who has used marijuana in the past, including those who were never arrested or prosecuted. So this could have some significant implications on criminal records for people who have marijuana use and possession charges um, that have received, you know, barriers to things like employment, housing and educational opportunities. Right. Uh, so or if someone were to be arrested on marijuana charges federally in the future. Uh -huh. Right. So it says this doesn't apply to people who violated state laws. Right. And that's federal. My question is, I think we know the answer to this. Has right. the Justice Department, has the federal government since Biden has been president been uh, prosecuting anyone on marijuana offenses? I don't think so. I, I don't know about the South, but I haven't heard anything. And New York State. <laughs> right, but I'm saying on the federal level. Has the Biden administration gone oh, oh, after anyone for oh. marijuana use? 
Marijuana use? I, 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 never, I don't know I didn't anything. anything. I don't know. I do, I don't know. Yeah, I do know. I mean, even what we have to look at for selling, for possessing large amounts and, and selling, I do know there was a famous case that we had, we had talked about, I think, right. um, under the Trump administration, right? Where they went right. after something. I don't know if right. Biden done it. Well, this is yeah. This is for for use for personal types of use and possession, not for sales and distribution. So yeah, mm-hmm. you're still busted for that. Uh, but if has, you just but has the Biden administration actually pursued any of those cases? That I don't know. Oh, um, I don't know. I've never. I haven't heard of any. And for you to receive, people to receive this pardon, they uh, will have to apply through the Department of Justice uh, oh. to receive the proof of pardon. Oh, proof of pardon. So <laughs> right. But if it's on the federal level, then how how is that going to work for different states? Well, if it's a state violation, it's not a pardon against that. It's just for federal. Right. Right, right. and right. we know that the issue was that marijuana was always illegal at the federal level. Right. So as states were legalizing it, you still right. had conflicting law in the sense that the federal authorities could still bust you on marijuana. Right. Of course, oh. it's a matter of whether they choose to or not, right? And so that's why I'm saying I believe the Biden administration has not pursued anyone on that. Right. You know, the, the Trump administration was at least going after some people for selling it. I don't know about personal use. I don't. I don't believe so. And what this does is like, because technically, like like Mike just said, like it it was illegal at the federal level. And so, if you got all these dispensaries out there, if you go buy at one of these dispensaries and you walk out, technically, the federal government could come in and be like, "Hey, you're right. in trouble." But with this, that would make it the the consumers would would have protections in that regard they wouldn't have to worry about that now if you're selling there's still right this doesn't apply on its terms to people selling right it's people who you have simple possession of right Right. and actually from what i'm seeing here on cnbc it says it would apply for people on federal lands and in the district of columbia So that's another wrinkle in it, if that's the case. Mm. Means it wouldn't apply for people in states unless they're on federal property. Right. And so he's he did urge governors to forgive state offenses, but, you know, he can't force them to do that. But. But it's 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 pretty big. It's a pretty big move. Right. I think at least it's a symbolic step that the federal government yeah. is moving away from the treating marijuana as criminal. Right. Yeah. So, and, and you know, that does, that should ease um, users uh, a bit because I, I know a lot of people aren't thinking about it anyway, when they go into the dispensary or whatever, but technically they would still be, they would have been in violation of federal law. Right. Um, just for buying it and using it. Um, because it's it's just weird that we operate in this weird space like this. But this this would would make sure that you know they don't get caught up in state in federal laws. So in states yeah. where it's legal, yeah. they they're they're all good, right? But then you still have the issue of the banks, right? If it's still illegal, right? The federal level, even if it's not being pursued, marijuana uh-huh. issues with federal regulations trying to open up a bank account for your marijuana business, right? Right. So, so, all right, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, yes. We want to put a poll out 
I actually wanted to ask about the solitary confinement. I don't, we don't have really much time left, but that was another big thing that happened in mm. New York. Um, so for those who don't know really quickly, the city council in New York City passed a bill that would make solitary confinement unlawful in most cases, right? And it also includes a due process provision where if you were trying to use any form of solitary confinement, even under the limited circumstances where it would be allowed, you would need to give the person you were trying to impose this punishment on due process rights. They have to have a hearing and things like that. And so the mayor, Mayor Adams, is vocally against this. Of course, we know he comes from a law enforcement background as uh-huh. a police officer. He is saying that basically the people who are pushing this don't know about law enforcement and criminal justice and what they're doing. He had a quote here that, you know, I wish my computer didn't freeze because I had it pulled up. Let me see if it's still in the chat. But it sounded <laughs> a little inflammatory. I was a little surprised. Okay, it is still in the chat. No, this is, I'm sorry, this is the, uh, the marijuana one. Okay. Maybe the mayor needs to smoke some because the, the quote that I saw was him saying, basically, how are you giving due process rights to these people behind bars? Because he said 80% of the people assaulted in jails are inmates. And so you're giving due process rights to protect inmates. Why should that matter? Right. He, he thought he was going to make a political point by saying, right. you guys don't know what you're talking about. You're just trying to protect inmates. Yeah, we know that. We're talking about people who are in prison or in, in jails. So I don't understand. You know, I mean, I don't understand that. That didn't seem like uh, the right thing to say. Uh, it didn't seem like it was even really it's not a humanistic viewpoint. I don't I mean, he, he thought he was like scoring a win by saying that. But I don't I just don't see that. I don't. You know, you know. Yeah, uh, I understand. Why, why does it matter that. who you're giving the due process rights to? We know that these are people behind bars. We, that's, right. Right. So, you know, I don't really get that line of thought. But you know, that's a, that's a, a thought. Do. You know, it, it, to me, it sounds like when it, to me, if I'm right, if I hear this correctly, it's sounding like people that are in jail deserve to be there. So that's whatever happens kind of to them is, and I think that's right. whatever happens to them. Is so much quote deserved, right? Um, They're not human, right? And I think that's that police officer coming to speak in him, and I think to me that's unfair because uh, everybody that's in jail, and we know from his history historically, has not always gone there for the reasons that they're claimed to be there, that they were persecuted for. So to make that blanket statement, it gives me pause. Right. But I even agree. if someone deserves to be in jail or in prison, it doesn't mean that you should throw out all of their rights and treat them inhumanely. Of course, right. we, rights are restricted. You're, you're yeah. literally restricting their ability to move around and things like that. But it doesn't mean that you treat them like animals. And right. I don't right. see why you should deprive anyone of due process. I mean, you want to get right. to the bottom of what's going because on. Because some people need to be in a cell. Himself against any accusations. I mean, to your point, Sheba, it's almost like he's saying, well, they were already convicted, most likely, and so now if they're doing something allegedly bad behind bars, it doesn't matter because they were already convicted. But they might have been convicted of a different crime 
not necessarily what you're trying to punish them for now. I mean, you should still give right. someone right. an opportunity to defend themselves and, and present their their case, essentially. Um, Absolutely. Now, you, you know, you're not talking about the, the punishment for the same thing. You're talking about, for example, if they assault someone or if they get violent, you know, it's a, it's a different incident that you're trying to punish them for now. Now, with that right. said, I do understand kind of the impulse or the train of thought that says you need to do something to control a violent situation, right? So if someone is wilding out, right, he's out of control, well, you have to restrain them some way. And it does maybe come off as a little childish to say, well, before we even restrain you, we have to have a mini trial here. I mean, no, you gotta do something in the moment. I get that. But the question then also becomes, well, what exactly are you proposing to do? Because we know about the ill effects that solitary confinement has. I mean, it's very right. classified as cruel and unusual. And right. so, uh-huh. know, there's a middle ground here, right? The answer doesn't have to be throw them up and throw them in solitary and, and, you know, and throw away the key. There could be some way of handling the situation in the immediate without resorting to that punishment. Right. I mean, yeah. just, they can, they can confine them to their cell for, for a period oh. until the investigation or the, the thing is handled. Um, solitary doesn't have to be designed in the way that it is because it's uh-huh. you know it's not just solitary, but it's also pretty bare bones and and you know the way it is. So uh-huh. there's different, like yeah, there are different ways to handle it and to still respect that people are human and that they have human rights and that they have rights yeah. under the law and the constitution as well. Yeah. They don't just lose that right because they are in prison. And that was a d- disconnect with me, with the uh, the Adams quote, right? The Mayor Adams quote, it, it was as if he was talking as if these people should have no re- rights or regard as humans yeah. whatsoever because they've already but been people, convicted. A lot of people think that though. There are a lot of people believe that. Really? Um, that and, and generally, I mean, it's often a conservative type of viewpoint. Um, they, they believe that. Like you're in jail, you deserve to be there, you have no rights, you're an animal now, you don't, you know, none of this counts toward for you anymore. Um, and that's it's not a good outlook. It's not who we should be, um, especially, you know, people could fall through the system. Even even that, regardless, it should speak to who we are and who we want to be. Uh, uh-huh. That we look at right. people in their failings, even if they are they are monsters. Well, we've got them behind bars. We've got them in, in that you know connection but there still are humans and like you said there's well documented the effects of things like solitary confinement um yeah so. and it's counterproductive i mean and we don't have time for a whole discussion right. on rehabilitation versus retribution right i think right. you're probably many people who look at the criminal justice system as uh retributive retributive is that the word <laughs> measure uh, but a means for achieving retribution right as opposed to trying to rehabilitate people but if you're concerned right. about society at large, right? Let's say your concern is, well, the crime rate is too high. There are too many violent criminals around. Okay. That can be a very valid concern, but it's counterproductive to say, well, the solution is once people are locked up, we're going to treat them like animals and put them in solitary confinement and subject them to all these forms of mistreatment. Because when people eventually get out, they're not going to be rehabilitated in the least. In fact, you're making them worse, really. You, you, you create right. a trauma in their mm-hmm. life. And right. what's that going to do, right? So that actually doesn't meet your stated goals. So you're going backwards right. now, right? So you got to yeah. keep that in mind, too. You know, um, one thing I wanted to bring up here before we put the poll out is that this is a veto-proof uh, vote in the city council. I think it was 39 members of the city council of the 51 
voted uh -huh. in favor of it. And so that may play into this as well in terms of whether the governor signs it or vetoes it. He may still veto it to, to signal uh -huh. his opposition. But uh, the speaker of the city council, Speaker Adams, not to be confused with Mayor Adams, says that they work so hard on passing this legislation that if he were to veto it, they would go ahead and override his veto. And so something to look at there as well. Will he and, and sign it because he knows they'll override his veto or will he still oppose it even though he will be overridden because he just wants to signal his opposition vocally? He'll probably he'll probably oppose it because of his his police background. And yeah. and like what, what Sheba said as far as uh, that giving pause because his police background, because he's the mayor in the position he's in, for him to have that uh, mentality and to vocally say it like, like, yeah, I just scored a real point. Like, I made a real point here. That should give everybody pause. Right, uh, right. It was that quote to me. I, was, I read it. I was just like, whoa, what are you saying here, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like what you think you're saying and what you're saying are two different things. Yeah, no, I think he said he knew what he was saying. He's <laughs> well, in terms of it being some kind of big point that everyone was gonna be like, ah, right. right, I never thought of that. Like, right, no, well, we knew that these were people who were behind bars. You acting like we didn't know that part of it, <laughs> right? Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. well, all right, so let's put the poll out to the people and see what they say. We can discuss it more next week. The poll question of the week is Do you agree with the New York City Council bill? that would ban most forms of solitary confinement. Yeah, it'd be an interesting discussion. See how that comes out next week. Yeah. So looks like we are running up on time here okay. this week. So let's uh, get the bottom line in play. Okay, well, who's, who's who's up for the bottom line this week? I say, Shiba. yeah, go for it, Shiba. Oh, yes. Well, I will say this has been a very great uh, year with is the, the discussions that we've had, uh, Mike and Jay. And the next time we meet, it will be in the new year. Mm. So my bottom line is wishing you a healthy, happy, pros prosperous rest of 2023 and a help healthy and happy new year in 2024. Absolutely. Thanks. You know what? And I didn't even think about it. That's the, the, the final bottom line of the year for, yes. for new so i think that's a good note to end it on absolutely we can see if we have any resolutions next time yeah, yeah. absolutely um i've actually already started one of mine so okay uh, we'll get into that next time and mike you want to tell them where we're at everywhere right you can catch us <laughs> on, of course facebook live every week we do the show we thank you all for checking us out the audio form is available wherever podcasts can be found. So please subscribe and get the show pushed directly to your device. Of course, we are on YouTube where we post up replays and clips at Nuance Show and Instagram as well, where you can get in on a discussion at Nuance Show. So we're out there. Find us. If you want to argue with us on Reddit, we're at Nuance Show there as well. Uh, absolutely. We're out there. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. And again, uh, we want to also thank the mayor-elect of Poughkeepsie for joining us today, Yvonne Flowers. Uh, it was definitely good to have her on and, and hear her views. So look forward to next week and next year. That's right. As always, we've got work to do. We'll catch you next time.